Job chapter 14, verse 1, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. This is the third message in our series of messages on death and the afterlife. We've dealt with how man was made, uh, the state in which God created him. We've dealt with dealing with sickness and pain and illness. But what about when death comes? That's what we're going to deal with this morning. In recent messages, I have referred to death as the great equalizer, and I believe it is. You know, death is not impressed by prestige, and death is not impressed by power. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what position you hold. Kings die. Presidents die. Former, I noticed this uh, in the headlines that former Agriculture Secretary Earl Butts passed away, 90-something years old. I don't remember a lot about him, but I remember the name. Uh, again, it just doesn't matter what position you hold in life. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. Death is going to come. It is an equalizer for all people, whether you are rich or whether you don't have anything, whether you're absolutely destitute. Death is going to come knocking, if you will, at your door. We know that Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We have an appointment. We're going to keep that appointment. We're not going to be late for that appointment. We will not miss it. We can't call and say, I want to postpone my appointment to a more convenient date. That appointment is coming, and we don't know when it is. My goodness, uh, you know, I meant to change that. Y'all pardon me. That's supposed to be turned off. Uh, that's got to be a wrong number, okay? <laughs> you know, I'm embarrassed when it happens to me. Y'all don't be embarrassed when it happens to you. I think people are supposed to know I'm in church at this time on Sunday. Uh, yeah, obviously somebody forgot. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the message, y'all, I'm sorry, that just, mm, that got away with me. Where was I? We're going to keep our appointment with death. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the fifth verse, for the living know that they shall die. You know, that's just a common knowledge that we have, isn't it? We all know death is coming. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. We prepare for it. We buy insurance policies, life insurance policies. I want to get a big one, but not too big. You know, I, I don't want to tempt my wife, but I want a, a nice big insurance policy. So if I pass away, she'll be taken care of and family will be taken care of. We buy burial policies. We prearrange funerals. We, we know that it's coming, and yet it's a subject that we really don't want to consider. Methuselah, the oldest man that ever lived, 969 years old. But what happened? Methuselah died one day, didn't he? So it's just, again, a common knowledge that we have. And people will go to many different extremes to keep from dying. Millions, probably billions of dollars are spent annually on medicines, on doctors, on hospitals, on treatments, so that we can live, so that we can stay alive. Doctors, nurses, lab technicians, emergency personnel, EMTs, and, and so forth. First responders are trained each year. Why? To preserve life. 
laboratories, experiments are all working and, and funded to find cures for diseases so that we may extend not only life, but so that we may extend the quality of life. And yet with all of that, death is still a very real part of life. Well, Brother Jim, what is the purpose of preaching on death? You know, we've talked recently about Brother James is going to start studying grief in his Sunday school class, and I'm preaching on death. Boy, we've we got to get a positive uplook, uh, outlook or uplook around here. Well, what is the purpose of this message on death? To acquaint us with what the Bible has to say about physical death, and so that when it comes, we can understand some things and we can be comforted in some things. A child, should a child of God fear death? No. You know what my greatest fear of death is? Leaving my family behind. That's, you know, I, other than that, I'm not worried about it. I know what's going to happen to me when I die. A child of God shouldn't really have to fear death. It should help us to comfort other saved individuals who are facing the loss of a loved one or who are facing uh, death in their own lives. We should be able to comfort others as we understand what the Word of God has to say about this subject called death. And then this message should also serve as a warning. If there is someone here who has never repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, here's a warning. Death is coming your way. You're going to die. I don't know how many years, how many months, how many days. Just, you know, I have this habit I've mentioned, <coughs> event, uh, mentioned in the past of uh, getting up in the morning. And I read my newspaper online, but I go online and I look at the obituaries. I've always told people if I ever see my name in there, I'm going back to bed. But I look at the obituaries. And you know what? It's not just old people that die, is it? Young people that die. So if you don't know Christ as Savior... Death is coming your way. It may be tomorrow. It may be 20 or 30 years from now or more. But it is a result of mankind's disobedience to God and you need to be prepared for it. And the only way to face death with confidence is to repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. Now, as we think about this thing called death, look at the first, the first question is, what is death? What is death? Some would say that death is annihilation. I mean, that's sort of the uh, evolutionist viewpoint, isn't it? Uh, you, but death is not annihilation. You don't go out of existence when you die. The evolutionist says, you know, we're all the result of some cosmic accident, and we're here for a little while, and then we die, and they just, you know, like Rover, dead all over, and they bury us, and, and that's it. And there's nothing else out there. So just, just live your life up. Just enjoy life in the here and now because there's not going to be anything else. Well, that is wrong. Death is not annihilation. Death is not a, simply either a lap in the circuit of reincarnation. Okay? I know there are those that believe in reincarnation in our world. Where you die and depending on what kind of life you've lived, you're going to come back as something else, you know, one, uh, one idea of reincarnation is you may come back as a bug or you may come back as a, an animal. And if you really are doing well, you come back as a cow or whatever. No. What did Hebrews 9.27 say? It's appointed to man once to die. Once to die. And then after this, the judgment. I like what Brother Darrell Owen said. He said, one shot is all you get at this life. That's it. 
We get one run at it. We get one shot at it. We get one attempt at living this life. And then we go into eternity. The most simple definition of death is separation. We know that when the spirit separates from the body, the body then dies. James 2.26, James said, The body without the spirit is dead. Jesus said it is the spirit that quickens, or it is the spirit that gives life. Over in the fifth chapter of Acts, in the account of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5 and verse 5, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. Down in verse 10, then talking about Sapphira, then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. Literally, that phrase means that they breathed out the soul. They breathe out the life. When they died, the spirit departed from the body, and again, the body without the spirit is dead. Over in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, the apostle Paul is facing the end of his life. Paul's getting ready to die. And he talks about that, and he compares death here. In verse 6, he says, I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. That is a picture of a ship weighing anchor and setting sail. Paul said, I'm just I'm ready to pull up anchor and go. He says in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. He uses the illustration of a Roman soldier fulfilling all of his military duty and coming to, in a ripe old age to the time of retirement and retiring as a soldier. And then he says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And there he uses the example of an Olympic runner having run his race and run his race well and coming to the finish line and receiving the reward at the end of the finish line. So Paul pictures death as setting sail. He pictures death as retiring. He pictures death as completing the race. I used this illustration the other night, the other day, sometime, Brother Kenneth Bazaar wrote a book one time about his father when his father passed away, and he just entitled the book, Curtis Has a New Address. I've had a lot of addresses in my lifetime. I've lived many different places. None of them were permanent. We always moved somewhere else. You know, they'd say a preacher ought to always keep his boxes. You understand that? <laughs> just keep your boxes. Don't throw them away. You're going to need them again. Uh, anyway, I've lived a lot of different places. One of these days, I'm going to make a move that will be a permanent address. And I won't ever have to move again. And that's what he was talking about when he said, Curtis has a new address. Curtis just moved on. Curtis Bazaar just moved on. He moved on to a new address, to a permanent address. So when death comes, the spirit leaves the body which had housed that spirit. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul uh, again uses that example. He, so, he said in chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. He compares this body to a tent. And a tent is not a permanent dwelling place. A house is a permanent dwelling place. A tent is just a temporary dwelling place. He said, for in this, talking about this body, this tent, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven, our permanent dwelling place, our permanent glorified body, if you will. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Paul said, we're living in a tent right now. One of these days, we're going to put this tent off, and we're going to get a house made by God. When we die, they put the body in the ground. The body goes back to the dust of the earth, and the Spirit is immediately escorted either to heaven or to hell based upon what we have done with Jesus Christ in this life. We can go over to the 16th chapter of Luke and we can read about the rich man and Lazarus dying. And the scripture says that the rich man, when he died, opened up his eyes in torments. Lazarus, when he died, was escorted by the angels into Abraham's bosom. But both men immediately, they didn't go into limbo, okay? They didn't go into some middle state where they were waiting to find out where they were going or what might happen to them in eternity. The moment they died, they went exactly to where they had prepared for in their life. The rich man, because he had made no preparation, into torment. Lazarus, because he knew Christ as Savior, into the presence of the Lord or into Abraham's bosom. Remember God's warning about death. God warned Abraham what would happen when he sinned against him. He said, in dying, thou shalt die. There will be a twofold death. You will die. You will be separated from me immediately spiritually, and you will eventually have to face physical death where the spirit separates from the body. Romans 8, 2 tells us that there is a law of sin and death. Everybody who sins has to die. Well, who all has sinned? Everybody, all right? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is physical death. The wages of sin is spiritual death. And the Word of God tells mankind that. And no one can rightfully say, God did not give me proper warning about death. The Word of God warns us. We just have something naturally built into us, I believe, that warns us, that tells us, you're not going to live forever. Young and old, as I said. You see that both of them die. That's what the psalmist said over in the 49th Psalm, and we'll not take time to read a lot of verses there, but I want to read a few verses in the 49th Psalm because it's a wonderful psalm. He says, he, he tells everybody to hear this. Everybody listen to this. Verse 2, he says, Both low and high, rich and poor together, my mouth shall speak of wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I'll incline mine ear to a parable. And then he says, uh, Beginning in verse 6, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for his brother. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beast that perish. He said they're all going to die. Rich, poor, wise, unwise, brutish, whatever it may be. It's coming to all. And so God warns us in His Word about this thing called death. Well then, now that we know that death is separation of the Spirit from the body, what causes death? I've already pointed out from Genesis chapter 2, death is a part of God's judgment on sin. Genesis 2 verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him 
into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. When you disobey me, and disobedience to God is sin, when you disobey God, he said, you're going to die. Chapter 3, verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thy... He's talking to the man now. He's talking to Adam. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. God said to Adam, you're going to die. You're going to die physically. Because of the righteousness of God... He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. God must punish sin. He is perfect, and He is holy, and He is just, and the only way, the only possible payment for man's disobedience was death. Why do you think Jesus had to die on the cross? Man's disobedience. He had to go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice for sin. Now, I believe there are specific things that may bring about death. We know the account of Moses. Moses may have died, probably did die prematurely, you think? Moses was to lead the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land. They got out so far and they wanted water, and God told Moses, you strike the rock with your rod and it'll bring forth water, and he did, and it brought out forth water. A little bit later on in their journey, the children of Israel got dissatisfied and they wanted water, and God told Moses what? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, and it'll bring forth water. And Moses was sort of upset at those folks. You know, he's, well, no, never mind. He was upset at those folks, and Moses took his rod and smote the rock. The water came out. He got the people what they wanted, but Moses had to pay for his disobedience. And God told Moses, I'm not going to let you enter the promised land. Now, he did take him up into the mountain and let him overlook it, showed him the promised land, but Moses died before entering into the promised land. And so it was his disobedience toward God that caused him to lose his life. I've already mentioned the fifth chapter of Acts, the account of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember what they did? In the fourth, right at the end of the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, a man named Barnabas Name means son of consolation. It's really the name, the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. Barnabas sold a portion of land and he wanted to give it to the church because a lot of people had been saved and, and had just remained there in Jerusalem with the church and needed to be taken care of and the church was trying to help take care of them. So Barnabas just sold this land and gave the entire price of the land to the church in Jerusalem. And we're not told this, but based on what happened, I can just imagine what Ananias and Sapphira plotted. You know, they really did. They really did praise Barnabas. They really did like what Barnabas did. You know, we'd like some of that. So we've got this piece of land and we're going to sell this land and we're going to take a portion of the price of this land and we're going to give it to the church. We're going to tell them that's, that's exactly what we sold the land for. And everybody will think of us the way they thought of Barnabas. Doing human nature. I, that's just what I feel like they did. The Bible tells us that they sold this land. They held back a part of the price of it for themselves. They gave the rest of it to the church. And they said, this is what we sold the land for. And the scripture tells us that Ananias hadn't much more than gotten that out of his mouth than he dropped dead. God took his life. 
Sapphira came in, their plot was, their plan was that Ananias would go in and make this announcement and obviously he'd get a little bit of praise then and a little bit later Sapphira would come in and just sort of do the whole thing all over again. So she comes in a little bit later. She tells essentially the same lie and she drops dead also. She didn't know what was done. Peter says, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, we did. Verse 9, Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And she fell down and gave up the ghost. Now, who did Ananias and Sapphira lie to? Say, oh, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church. Who did Peter tell them they'd lied to or tried to lie to? God, the Holy Spirit. You can't lie to God. You may try it, but you can't do it. And here they had tried. And what is the importance of that? Second, or First Corinthians, rather. First Corinthians 3, verse 16. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. He says to that church at Corinth, he says, The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is a very special place. It is the temple of God. You don't defile the temple of God without paying the price for it. In other words, based on what we see with Ananias and Sapphira and what Paul says here, you better be careful how you treat the church. One of the Lord's churches. Because God takes it very seriously. You recall from the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, when this church at Corinth was abusing the Lord's Supper, Paul said, for this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Some had died because of their abuse of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3 indicate to us that a refusal or a failure by children, by young people, to obey their parents may result in a premature death. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with, commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Does that guarantee a long life if you honor parents? Not necessarily. You can destroy your life foolishly. But God indicates that refusal and failure to honor parents and to obey them may bring about a shorter life. And we've already seen in this series that a person's death may be caused by the disobedience of another. Joshua chapter 7. Israel had won the battle at Jericho. They'd been told not to take any of the spoils. A man named Achan took uh, some silver, a wedge of gold, and a Babylonian garment. And he hid them. And Israel went up to battle against Ai, and they lost. And 36 men, innocent men, lost their lives. And Joshua's on his face before God, wanting to know why. God tells him to get up. He said, there's sin in the camp. That's why. And it was traced back to Achan, who had disobeyed God in this matter of taking spoils from Jericho. Achan cost 36 innocent men his li their lives, and then he cost the rest of his family their lives because the command from God was, you not only take Achan out, but you take his entire household out and you stone them to death. You get rid of the sin. So it's possible that our sin may cause the death of other individuals. We know there are various co other causes. There's old age, there's disease, there's sickness, there's accidents. All of these things bring about death. 
death is also, if you think about it this way, death is also a sign of God's goodness. Have you ever considered death in that manner? God loves his children. God wants his children to be with him. And you know, God may take a child of his home just to keep them from suffering the pain and the illness that they're going through. This is sort of hard to talk about, but I remember when my mother was discovered that she had uh, five brain tumors. They were malignant. She said, I want to live as long as God will let me live. She said, but I want God's will in my life. And I've wondered for many years, and, and I, I've dealt with this and wondered about it. And, you know, I, from a human standpoint, I thought, you know, Lord, that a lot of people are a lot worse than my mother was. She was a good woman. Why are you letting them live and why would you take her? You ever wonder that? Why? In recent years, I think I've had some answers. God didn't give them right away. But I think I've seen some things and discovered some things and had some answers that it was a blessing to her. It was hard for us because we lost someone that we loved, but it was a blessing and a benefit to her. And I certainly know that the condition that these brain tumors put her in, she wouldn't have wanted to live in that condition anyway. So sometimes God is just merciful. And God is just very loving. And God is very caring. And God is very good. And then sometimes he may just call us home just because it's time. And he says, come on, my child. Come home and live with me. The 116th Psalm, verse 15, says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's precious in God's sight. And it's a benefit sometimes and a blessing to us. Again, this message ought to remind us that there is a God who is supreme above all and who has... Now, we understand that Satan is presently called the God of this world. He has a tremendous hold over this earth. But it is God who holds the strings of life and death in his hands. What did he tell Satan when Satan was dealing with Job or wanted to deal with Job? God said, I'll let you do this, I'll let you do this, I'll let you do this. You can't kill him. I have that power. And God would not give that power to Satan. It ought to also remind us that one of these days, we're going to face death. We've had others. We've had, we've, you know, I go back and I look I, at the list, the church roll that we had 11 years ago. And I look at the names on that roll and how many of them in these last 11 years have gone on to be with the Lord. Since we're going to face death, we need to prepare for it. And again, if you don't know Christ to save you, the way to prepare for death is to right now repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, trusting the price that he paid on Calvary. And as children of God, how do we prepare for death? We live. We live faithfully. We live obedient to the Lord. And we do what he would have us to do in our lives. I said, death's a great equalizer. It's coming. You can't put it off, and you can't escape it. And one of these days, God's going to call each of us. He said, but Brother Jim, we, we believe Jesus is coming back. He may come back before I die. Yes, he may come back before 
you die, but you'll still put off this flesh. And you'll get that glorified body. We don't know when that day is either. And that's a point, an appointment that we'll keep also. And we'll not avoid it. We need to just live ready as children of God. And we need to see those people about us who don't know Christ as Savior, who also are coming to this time and face this thing called death. And we need to care enough for their souls that we would witness to them of Jesus Christ. They may not accept Christ. doesn't matter. Well, it does, but I mean, we still need to witness to them and warn them. Death is coming. Life is short. It's fleeting. But Jesus died for you that you might have everlasting life. Would you accept him today?